You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and thank you for joining us this beautiful weekend. You're listening to the largest and fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. This show, it came out of the beginning of COVID. I wanted to create a platform where we can discuss all the craziness and all of the news, but who would have thought back in March and April that we would still have headlines like the ones we have today? This has been an unbelievable journey. Me as a broker and investor, I want to know what's going on for myself and my clients and you guys. I want to be able to serve you by sharing what I'm learning as well. So we're going to talk off. We're going to talk about a few things. Number one, is Toronto still the most expensive place to rent in the GTA? No. No, it's not. But we're going to talk about what is. What does that mean for your investments in the city? And how does Toronto's property tax rate compare to other Ontario cities? We, we got a report that actually outlines where everybody stands on a property tax perspective. Is Toronto high? Is it low? Well, we're going to see. And why is the Bank of Canada still running a mortgage program that they promised to end last month? How exciting it was when we could say, you know what? The government's not spending any more money. Well, Come to find out, yes, they still are. We're going to talk about what happened with that program and why they feel like they can get away with such a scam. But we like to have some fun. If we're going to sit here, we might as well, you know, lighten the mood. I find it's the best way to learn and uh, keeps me focused. (laughs) So what's the difference between a vacuum and a Harley motorcycle? (laughs) Well, the vacuum carries its dirt bag on the inside. (laughs) Why are we going here? Well, just to kind of lighten the mood, start us off today. The frequent roar of motorcycles drowned out warnings from politicians who had called on bikers to sit out their traditional Friday the 13th pilgrimage to this otherwise sleepy Lake Erie town because of the COVID-19 pandemic. The normal crowds, which number in the tens of thousands, were sharply diminished. We're talking about Friday the 13th motorcycle rally drawing poor turnouts in Port Dover. So if you're bike curious... So stupid. Officials report motorcycle rally was manageable. Very good. Very good. It's good to see that uh, everybody is working together to try and manage this COVID thing. Maybe we'll have a Christmas after all. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> so let's jump into, as we go here, I want to start off talking about rents. A lot of you are investors. You might have single family homes. You might have multifamily homes. Depending on what you're doing, this article should be appealing to you. Blog TO says, rents in Toronto continue to plummet for the 10th. This many. I'm holding up my hands. This many. I don't know what I'm going to do next month. We'll figure that out. (laughs) Tenth month in a row. Tenth month. If you're a prospective homeowner in TO, you're unfortunately still very much out of luck as far as housing prices, which have been completely unusaged. (laughs) Unusaged. That sounds so much better. By the pandemic. But if you're a renter, things have actually been looking up. Oh, all right. (laughs) I know you guys aren't surprised by that, but let's talk about the stats, okay? Based on rentals.ca and bullpen research and consulting, rents in the city have continued to fall each month with October's numbers showing that two-bedroom apartments are a whopping 14% cheaper than they were at the same time last year. Wait a minute. Two bedrooms are down 14%. I thought it was the little ones that are affected. Well, it would seem as though overall, a lot of people are being affected by this, not just the little stuff. One-bedroom tenants are faring even better with rents now down 17%. There's your figures, right? They're, they're worse off, but I mean, to be down 14% is not a hallelujah type of moment. Vaccine now, that's a hallelujah type of moment. We did a video literally, it says hallelujah on the, the thumbnail for that a few days back. And declining month over month at the beginning of the year. 
So it's been declining since we started 2020. Even before COVID, by the way, which is actually a fun fact too. Compared to Canada, where do we stand? Well, rents across the country were on average down only 8.1% for all housing type to give an idea of just how fast and drastically Toronto's pricing is falling. Well, if rent drops are the story, then Toronto is the story of the story. It is really the, the prime indicator, the prime illustration of the problems that we're facing. But is Toronto now still the most expensive place? This has been the case for years. <laughs> At least it feels like for years. Well, guess what? This is a special month. <laughs> for Toronto renters. For the first time in a long as I remember, according to a latest report, it is now officially the more expensive to rent in North York, right? We saw them climbing the last few months. Then in the rest of the city and the two top the list of the most expensive places to rent a one bedroom in the entire country preceding even Vancouver. There you go, North York investors. Lucky day for you. But when looking at rent prices overall for all types of units, Oakville and Vancouver topped the two top spots out of 35 major markets nationwide. So depending on how you look at it, no matter what, it is crazy to consider the cost of renting these days. It really is. After all your expenses, it's literally impossible to buy a Harley Davidson. <laughs> Who can afford all the shirts? <laughs> Uh, moving on, Toronto for all property types. The average rent in Toronto in October was $2,150. That is $1,931 for a one-bedroom. And the second month in a row that this number has ebbed under $2K, $2,000. And a two-bedroom, by the way, is $2,500. Well, here we go. We're on the downward trajectory. Let's look at it in North York. Well, the overall rent in North York is $2,174. So just slightly above Toronto. And the one-bedroom is $1,953, also slightly above Toronto. And compared with Oakville, they're now at $23.59 per month overall. And Vancouver, by the way, is at 23, just over $2,300. So none of these places are cheap. In fact, they're the top of the list. But how fascinating. Essentially, though buying a house in Toronto may still be completely unaffordable if you've at all been considering moving from your current situation to another rental in what has traditionally been one of the most costly cities in which to live in the world. Now is definitely a time to do so. And we've been saying that for a while. Now, the counterpoint goes to landlords. Make sure you're locking them down. As the rent amount goes down, landlords recognize your tenants. They're smart enough, especially with the amount of news that they're bombarded with. The number one headline of the day in Toronto is how cheap rents are. But yet, I'm still paying the rent that I did last year. What is this? They're not so stupid. Be careful. Not only is the rent rate affecting vacant units, the people who are looking for tenants, but it also puts pressure on you who have existing tenants as well. Play smart. Don't lose what you got. So I would, again, as mentioned, I would encourage you guys to lock in those tenants for the next 12 months, structure it properly so that you're not locking yourself into a low rate for a long time, but recognize there's a lot of factors pushing this rent rate down. It's the reason why even before I saw this report, I'm still thinking in the new year, we're more likely than not going to see rent rates continue to come down. Things like Airbnbs going to be flooding the market as well as condo construction on its way, not to mention the demand pressures we see in immigration and all that fun stuff, but you need to compete against other Toronto renters, rentals and GTA rentals as well. It's not just about competing against Toronto. I mean, it'd be fun if it was just like, oh yeah, no, you want to be in the city while well, I'm competing against this street. No, COVID has changed the dynamic. It's changed the rules. You now need to compete against people across the GTA. Look at Mississauga, for example. They're up in rent, by the way, 10%. So not everyone's going down. And they sit right now at 1886, which is only $45 cheaper than Toronto. Think about that. As a renter, I guess the question is, is, how far does this pit go? Because if I'm deciding between Mississauga and Toronto and it's only a $45 difference, 
I mean, I'm kind of thinking Toronto. I, I don't know about you guys, but uh, it'll be interesting to see where that hole ends. Can our condo owner investors don't have much of a leg to stand on these days, or maybe they have legs. <laughs> They've just lost a few toes along the way. <laughs> like those bikers, the ones that like they're using their feet. Use the, use the, whatever. Why do you, how do you break a motorcycle? Clearly not a motorcyclist. Ah, whatever. You lose a few toes. No big deal. We're, it's cool. We accept you on the show. Ah, not, we're not lactose intolerant around here. <laughs> Uh, I like that joke. I think that's funny. I didn't say it right, but that's uh, usually the case. Active rental inventory week over week. I was taking a look, just kind of some fun facts for you guys as it relates to rentals. Zland posted GTA weekly rental active. I, what's first of all, a couple things that I want to note. This is progressing to climb. Total inventory of GTA rental residential listings and MLS is climbing. If we look back to where do we want to go here? Let's say May. Okay, let's say May 2020. The active GTA rentals on the MLS were 90, just under 9,500. Today, they're over 16,500. That's crazy growth. And keep in mind, we're rounding into the winter. The other thing that I notice about this trend that I think is worth noting, because I've mentioned in past podcasts, I noticed there's a bit of a step that happens. It seems like we're kind of walking up a staircase. And I figured out why. It's because it would look, as we've kind of looked at the last two, three months, and since I was thinking, you know what, we've reached a plateau, right? I was kind of, I'm thinking, you, we, we've reached a level where we're good. But then I saw it goes off again and then it's like, oh, we're good. And then it goes off again and we're good. Well, where that seems to be mapping out is at the end of each month, I'm noticing that that last week, it's almost as if at the very end of the month, people are filling these vacant units, which you could say is uh, duh, obvious. But when you look before, that wasn't really the case. On a week by week basis, we see this kind of plateauing happening. An interesting story. And so if you do start to see, it just tells me if I start to see another plateau come the end of this month and the end of November, doesn't mean we're safe. Really doesn't mean we're safe. We really got to look at the beginning weeks as we round into a new month. Fun facts, anyways. And so the big investors in Ontario are looking outward with the cost of Toronto real estate so expensive and it's hard to get a positive cash flow here in the city. They recognize now is the time to test drive something else. But getting higher cash flow in outer communities, it's not a 2020 thing. It's just COVID has sped up the process and now everyone is making a big deal of it. Wow. <laughs> Like two days ago, <laughs> the weather was so nice. It was nice. I, it was fantastic. So I'm like whipping around, you know. Then a policeman comes up, pulls me over on his motorcycle. And I don't know why. I told him I was only borrowing it for like five minutes. <laughs> uh, okay, anyways. <laughs> I have to go back and listen to that. It actually makes sense. Anyways, the point is I stole his motorcycle. <laughs> TorontoStories.com. We're going to move on to our next topic. Talking about property taxes because I think this is a big decision factor, decision maker. When we're looking at stats calculating your uh, your income, your potential on a property, property tax is one of the lines and it matters. Well, how does Toronto stack up? Are we competitive? Are we drawing in that investor potential? Let's see. This is Toronto Story says, while home prices are, of course, top of mind for any prospective property buyer, property taxes are not to be overlooked and According to a new report from Zucasa, Toronto's are currently the lowest in the province? What? <laughs> what are the odds of that? Ugh. All right, well, let's look at it. All right, so the city's tax rate is 0.5997, let's say, percent. This gets multiplied by your property value, by the way. Markham sits just above at 0.628. Windsor, well, you guys suck down there, 1.776. Man, and Thunder Bay, you suck up there, too. <laughs> 1.56. So you look at what you're, what you're going to start to notice in this article is the bigger the, the city, 
the lower the tax rate. And, uh, and I want to kind of dive into this because I think it's a big picture. Now people are more than ever considering, should I invest in Toronto or Windsor? The fact that you could say, can I invest in Toronto or Windsor? Like, what a difference of, uh, but yet for COVID, it seems still practical to do both, which has just been crazy. So we need to really hold them up against each other. And I think tax rate is a great way to do that. Quote, it's important to note that this does not mean that every homeowner in Windsor is paying more in property taxes than the homeowner in Toronto, explains the report. There are a number of factors at play. Duh. Once again, how to calculate it. You take a property tax, multiply it by the home's recent value assessment, which is generally significantly lower than the actual value, which is a good thing. If that's not the case for you, you might want to get it reassessed to bring your tax dollars down. And in Ontario, it is based on home value, the education rate, and the residential tax rate. This is what puts your property tax all together. Okay. So we look in the last 2020 and in Toronto, we had a tax rate, property tax increase in this year of 4.24, which brings the average home property tax amount to 3,100 bucks. Okay. And they got this like fun little chart. And I really just want to spec, I want to dive into what matters. I don't think it matters to get into too many details. You guys, if you pay Toronto taxes, I'm sure you've looked at the bill, but for Gazookas's most recent port, 2020 property taxes for 35 Ontario municipalities were compiled. The calculations were completely completed for what each region's homeowners would pay in these brackets. You got a home for 250,000, 500,000, and a million bucks. And then they dive into comparing Toronto and Windsor at that $500,000 mark. Let's see what happens. Because if we take Windsor at that 1.775, for example, the homeowner would pay per year on a $500,000 home, $8,800. It's quite a bit of money when you compare that the city of Toronto, same dollar value, 500,000 bucks, they're paying under $3,000, a big difference, right? This would put over $5,300 more per year for that property in Windsor. So again, when we're comparing these markets, we have to consider things like this. If you're not, you're not thinking the same way as an investor. And then I ask, why do you listen to our podcast? <laughs> it's definitely for the jokes, right, grandma? <laughs> She's like, what's real estate? <laughs> According to Zucasa, cities where local real estate is of particularly high value and where there are larger populations generally have more capabilities to keep their tax rate low. And don't think back and say, oh, well, that's no wonder Toronto's got the lower tax rate. That's still a good thing. <laughs> Let's take the win. Don't just be like, oh, it's because you're big. But yes, economies of scale matters. It does. For example, property managers, right? When you're getting an apartment building with 20 units, the per door cost is way less than if you're getting something like a duplex. It's why me and my clients, we prefer to invest in small to mid-sized apartments. There's a lot of advantages in that. DM me if you want to get involved in our, in our I actually posted on Instagram, like a 32% year over year return on these units. They're incredible. Where do you think the big boys are parking their money? You think they got four doors? That's cute. <laughs> Well, technically, <laughs> well, it comes to parking your money. It's legal, technically, to park bovines with foot coverings <laughs> in motorcycle parking spaces. <laughs> They're my Kawasaki's. <laughs> also really funny, guys. Okay, they're funny. I'm funny. <laughs> I won't do stand-up comedy, but I try and find a happy middle. I let the Toronto real estate bring the excitement and I, I practice. As real estate prices and property assessment values increase in Toronto, the largest city, Ontario, so do property tax revenues, giving council the ability to keep the rate low. Economies of scale. Economies of scale says Toronto would naturally be less in Markham and Richmond Hill, where property taxes are 0.62 and 0.65 respectively. Average home prices are relatively high. 
floating, you know, a million seventy four and one point one seven million, meaning it's permissible to have lower tax rates because the city they ain't hurting. They're making enough money. Whereas a place like Windsor, the average home price is just under four hundred and thirty thousand dollars, which means the highest tax rate often have the lowest price real estate. So get to the point. One thing I want to mention here before I do my math, because I, I like to play around with some quick numbers. I'm, I'm a bit of, I'm a finance guy. I like to kind of quickly look at numbers and see how does this all compare. But before we go there, one of the other things I think was interesting is that it's, there's a balance between commercial uh, tax rates and residential tax rates. Generally, in most municipalities, businesses pay at least twice the homeowners pay in the tax. And the average in Canada is 2.5. A higher commercial property tax rate generally translates to a lower residential rate. And the reverse is also true. We can't all win. Screw the business, screw the little guy. Who are we screwing today? <laughs> and so here's the quick highlights. Top five lowest property tax rates in Ontario. Congrats if you're on the list. Toronto, Markham, Richmond Hill, Vaughn, Milton. <laughs> and why not poke at the little guys? <laughs> Which cities have the highest property tax rates in Ontario? Windsor, Thunder Bay, Sault Ste. Marie, or the, the salt, <laughs> the salt of the earth. <laughs> I just made that up. Is that a thing? Do you guys consider yourself the salt of the earth? I'm curious. The, 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 Sioux, the, the Sioux people out there. North Bay, Sudbury, all those places that are growing tremendously quick. It'll be interesting. Is there, is there a breaking point or do their tax rates just kind of line up because everyone runs there all of a sudden? I don't know. I don't know how it works, but what does it mean for investors today? What does this really mean? Well, a lower, higher tax rate and amount shouldn't be the only guidepost. It's just because property tax values are particularly low today doesn't mean they're going to remain that way. We got to be properly budgeted. We can't be throwing things away in COVID. I think if there's anything to throw it off the rails is that. But consider this. Here's my maths. <laughs> consider this. Property tax versus mortgage payment. So these are the two, these are two very significant costs. Actually, these are in many times the biggest. These are the two big ones. So so for every $100,000, I ran quick numbers, you got 2% interest rate over 25 years. For every extra $100,000 in mortgage debt right now, you're going to pay an extra $1,950. That would be your extra for the first year. Now, obviously things change over time, but let's just use for, for fun. And so if the difference is 5,300, as we talked about earlier between a place like Toronto and, Win and Windsor, our interest payments would afford you an extra $270,000. Does that make sense? So what I'm saying is if you were to buy a $500,000 unit comparing these two factors in Windsor, that would afford you at the same cost in Toronto, a $770,000 house. Yet in Toronto, listen to this, this would be a Windsor argument for that investment. In Toronto, our prices sit well over a million dollars. And in Windsor, they sit at $430,000. Is there a discrepancy? Absolutely. Not to mention the municipal land transfer tax that gets plugged onto every Toronto investor that wants to move into the city. Well, watching city investors and country investors is like watching two blondes fighting over a window seat on a motorcycle. <laughs> Completely redundant. <laughs> redundant? That's not even the word. Redundant means you did it again. <laughs> they probably do it more than once though. Let's be honest. All right, hot topics. Hot topics. Now I'm thinking about the word redundant. <laughs> All right, let's get into hot topics. Shut, shut up, move on. Okay, so let's start off with the world. Let's talk about the world. Is this, is this, clearly COVID is a big problem. Is the real estate thing a big problem? Well, I saw an article that came from uh, at FT property. I'll link it down below as well. Has the mini boom in UK house prices missed flats? In London, the price of apartments has well flat, has well <laughs> flattened since the pandemic. It is well flattened. And so they're, they're flats, right? They're, they're little, these little tiny mini homes, these little condos 
in their city are impacted too. And this seems to be a consistent story across the globe. Another fun fact as it relates to the world before we dive in a little bit deeper is Joe Biden won. So the U.S. election is all but over other than a few complaints still being filed, I'm sure, by the Trump organization or whoever is filing on behalf of Trump. But people, they want something new. They voted. They want that next new thing. And I want to get ahead of it. I'm very entrepreneurial. Right, so I've invented a way of getting my motor by going without a battery. <laughs> Think of that. I'm going to do a Kickstarter for it. <laughs> Hit me up if you're interested. <laughs> also, we look at immigration. Okay, so let's dive a little bit deeper here. Let's get into Canada now at a national level. Well, I wanted to just quickly look. I, I saw some stats from Zeland on, on Twitter, and I thought, you know what? Let's just do the highlights for you guys. So at the peak, looking from the last, I think this was the last year, you know what? No, it's not. Not even since 2015 he's got. But the, the highs that we hit were at the end of 2019 for immigration. And this is monthly admissions of permanent residents. Well, the high, the peak was 12,360. That was the best we could do in a month, okay? The trough, COVID's worst it could do was just over 1,500. That's a big drop. <laughs> so where do we stand today? Well, in September, which is the latest stats we have, it sits around 4,400. So we're really a third of the peak. Think of that. And if you ask people, we would say a year over year, we're down about 45% in the number of admissions to permanent residents. No matter how you slice it, immigration is still a challenge. Okay, let's look at economy. Steve Suresky. I thought these posts were really funny. I love, I love how he just like throws it out there. <laughs> Deal with it. Listen to this. And we actually talked about this first point here. The head of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business says thousands of businesses have shut down and are effectively bankrupt, but are holding off on a formal filing on the faint hope they can outrun their debts long enough to survive the pandemic. They're desperate. They're saying, please help us. Please help us. But I love this next point. The next round of lockdowns will be the final nail in the coffin. We're not locking down again. Second wave. What's that? We can, we can overpass this, right? We can get past it. And if you've, if you've been paying attention to the news, you know that is not at all the case. We are, things are slipping. Things are slipping. When we look in the GTA, Toronto is deemed a red zone starting today, which is Saturday. Stricter city imposed shutdowns in place. But it's not stopping there. It's not just Toronto, guys. And it's not just Peel, guys. We're talking Hamilton, Halton. And York regions are to move to red level on Monday <laughs> within two days. Oh, poor GTA, man. Quickly going off the rails. Help! Help! <laughs> I got overly confident. I lost both my arms in a motorcycle crash. Oh, there's, nothing, there's something wrong with my legs, too. I just can't put my finger on it. <laughs> We're in a position of desperation. That's my point. Ontario also there's, so as it relates to health officials, well, what comes next? Because you remember a couple of weeks back, probably was a month ago now. Time moves really fast when we're having fun, doesn't it? <laughs> when we look back, Doug Ford has a big old shotgun and he's just like shooting all these cities, right? And it's like, okay, no, no, no. Okay, we're, we're doing good. And he even said, it, we're, like, we're doing good. We're doing good. We're going to, we're going to break it. We're going to color code it. It's going to be like uh, preschool. It'll be great. You guys will finally understand what's going on. And then all of a sudden he says this on Friday. All right, he pulls his weapon back out. We're staring down the barrel of another lockdown. <laughs> Thanks, Doug. And I will not hesitate for a second if we have to go further. Oh, buddy. Uh-oh, watch out. It was a blunt statement about a blunt instrument, some combination of widespread restrictions, closures, and a potential declaration of emergency. It's a situation few Ontarios want to see. Ford among them. Thanks, man. He's on. I'm on your team. <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, I mean, he is. It's kind of, it's just ironic. <laughs> but some warn it may now be unavoidable as the province's COVID nineteen cases keep surging to new heights, with more people fi- filling hospital beds week after week. So then in Ontario, we got a problem. We got a GTA problem. We got an Ontario problem. On Thursday, they've just recently announced since our last podcast, a staggering, we were thinking it was going to be over 2,000. Or no, it was over 3,000. It was kind of cute. My past self was kind of cute. Yeah, we're probably going to see at least, you know, two, 3,000 by the mid-December. That was what everyone was saying. That's what the experts were saying. Well, no, 6,500. Bam. I've even seen someone throw a 10,000. I'm just going to pretend like that's not real news and we're going to move on. By, by, by mid-December, 6,500 potential new cases daily. That'll be fine. That's Ontario, by the way. So let's look. Okay, actually, I want to dive into this as well. The numbers and the trajectory don't bode well. The country as a whole has hit a, quote, tipping point. This comes from Ann Collins, who's the president of the Canadian Medical Association, which I think is a really lame name. It's kind of dry. We should, we should really update that, especially these days. Call it the health angels. <laughs> Noting physicians in Ontario keep pushing the provinces to bring in tougher restrictions. Okay, so let's look at Canada. So clearly we're triggering a lockdown in Ontario. And so my next thinking is naturally, what about Canada? Like if we're struggling in Ontario, are we going to be left on our own or do we have support of the federal government, which I think would step in more likely than not if it was a Canadian problem. So I'm just kind of, you know, looking around. CBC.ca, federal government's COVID-19 support is not, quote, infinite, PM warns premieres. Here's the highlights from that occur. One of the things, this is actually, Prime Minister Trudeau said this. One of the things that I did highlight is that our resources are not infinite at the federal government, but there is a threshold beyond which when the cases spike too much, we might have to make really difficult choices about where to deploy the limited resources we have. So he says we're not at the point of having to make those, quote, difficult choices yet. That doesn't mean it can't threaten you, though. Dr. Teresa Tam, Canada's chief public health officer, says, from where I'm sitting, anywhere outside of the Atlantic bubble, the Atlantic jurisdiction and the territories, fires are burning in so many different areas. (laughs) Ah! (laughs) Right now is the time to get those under control. (laughs) Serve me, Justin. Serve me. But things aren't looking too good. They're really not. And uh, I joke about the syrup thing. I don't think that's going to come back in. But it'll be interesting to see what kind of supports are in place once, not if, once closures happen. It seems all but certain when you got Dougie sticking a barrel of shotgun down your throat. But at this rate, just like the bikers in Port Dover will all be asked to stay home, old St. Nick likely won't be cruising in his Holly Davidson this year. Let's get into our last and final topic here. Talking about a Bank of Canada. Bank of Canada ended the mortgage program that inflated prices. Kind of. That's a title that comes from betterdwelling.com. We're going to dive into this. This is one of the articles I love. Every so often I get a Better Dwelling article I think is really good and very factual. And I love that they kind of shine a light where a lot of people are scared to look. And I just think their conclusions are often wrong. But I like the stats and I like what they have to say. So we're going to do it today. Ready? The increase is a couple of weeks after the pandemic program to buying those has ended. We're talking about Canada mortgage bonds. If you weren't here a few weeks back, that's okay. I'm not going to fill you in all the way. I recommend you go back and listen to that. But the whole point of buying these Canada mortgage bonds was to try and bring interest rates down. And the government said last year, we're not going to do that anymore. Sorry, Bank of Canada said, we're not going to do that anymore. That's it. We're good. We're actually good now. Okay, sweet. That means interest rates aren't going to keep dropping at like super quick paces. We're going to get a little bit of stability and we don't need that government buying power yet at a competitive basis. Correct. 
And that's still the case, by the way. And this is why I love this Better Dwelling article. Here's what they say. CMBs are a state-backed security for mortgage financing in Canada. The activity of the Bank of Canada helps put a ceiling on rates and can actively drive them down, which is what we experienced. So the outcome a couple weeks ago was interest rates wouldn't continue to be forced down. Well, what does that mean now on the other side of it? Does it mean it could go up? Well, kind of. But here's what they explain. Listen to this. There's a difference. I'm learning too between non-competitive buying versus competitive buying. Listen to this. Last year, when real estate sales slowed without an obvious reason, the Bank of Canada decided to buy CMBs. So this isn't something that happened during COVID. They were kind of involved in these CMBs pre-COVID, okay? They bought them on a non-competitive basis, which means they didn't bid against other investors. They capped rates from rising. At the start of the pandemic, they began buying them on a competitive basis. So COVID converted it from non-competitive, we're just gonna buy it, make sure it's stable, to now we're actively driving down interest rates. These actively drove down rates as they competed with investors. So what should happen? They say in this article, which I also agree with, rates are supposed to rise in periods of turmoil as a form of risk management, though. That's why the rates are there. That's why they exist. You don't want people borrowing more when things are getting worse. However, the Bank of Canada drove rates lower. That's exactly what happened. Real estate hit record volumes, which we experienced. Better dwelling didn't think would happen. (laughs) but we've been talking about for a while. (laughs) The conclusions are off. The stats, the facts are good. The Bank of Canada blamed borrowers for borrowing. You did this. And then announced they would end the program on October 26th, which we reported here on our show, except the balance sheet of assets, the balance of assets are still rising. What? You said you'd stop. (laughs) No, no. I'd say we're down and out. Anyone want to trade me for a wheelchair? (laughs) I'm offering a crushed motorcycle. (laughs) So let's look. Bank of Canada mortgage bond balance right now at 1,700. I can't even read that. (laughs) 1,748%. A modest increase. The balance of CMBs held by Bank of Canada is still rising fairly fast, even post end of program. So I'm going to cut to the chase. How can we pull this off? You said you were going to stop at the end of October, yet somehow we're still growing the balance sheet. What does that mean? Well, here's the fine print that we've now learned. Okay, the program was supposed to end in October. Well, on October 28th, two days after it officially ended, the balance was 9.6 billion. The balance has increased to one by about 122 million, which is 1.26% since then. Okay, so since then. But how, how do you pull that off? Well, The answer is this, the program ended, but buying didn't. In other words, they're still working to keep rates from rising to some degree. They just aren't buying on a competitive basis to drive them lower. Oh, I... I kind of wish you explained that at the beginning. That would have actually made a lot of sense. They said, they did say separately, interest rates are going to stay low, but they didn't explain when they were all excited about removing these CMBs that we're not going to be buying these bonds or these, uh, these back securities anymore. They didn't really make that clear that they're still going to be spending money. It's just, we're not competitively buying. Oh, got it. <laughs> Better dwelling out here. Spitting facts, man. Spitting facts. I love, I love this article. I think it's great. Thank you for the counterpoint, which by the way, I haven't heard anywhere else. So this is why I think it's important that we look at all angles. They are really good, in my opinion, better dwelling at looking at problems in our market. They just fail to see how those problems point to significant man-made price appreciation in the future. Like if all these things are happening as they're discussing, would prices not continue to go up? This is a good analogy to wrap up our podcast. Make sure you hit that like subscribe button if if you made it this far. I'm going to kind of wrap up here. 
And again, our investor list, if you want high cash flow properties, we're going to probably be focusing a lot on these apartment buildings. I'm seeing a lot of deals across the country. But anyways, make sure you hit that like button. If you're listening to our podcast, make sure you download the last five episodes, whatever you can do to support the channel. Here's my analogies on the difference between better dwelling and the rest of us. Okay. (laughs) So you're driving, you're riding your motorcycle, right? You're on an open road. It's a bumpy, bumpy road. (laughs) When suddenly your girlfriend, she falls off the back of your cycle. Oh, dang. (laughs) So this is the dilemma of our market, right? Better dwelling. They want to stop and help Ruth out. Oh no, Ruth, you good? Get off, you know, give her some bandages. They use a cast, but a little bit overpriced these days. (laughs) And they fix her up. Well, meanwhile, us investors out here, we're out here and we won't let up. We didn't even stop. We're still going. In fact, we speed up. We ride on ruthlessly. So like, Bradley, all that for that? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> See you, Ruth. Peace. <laughs> Anyways, I hope you guys had some fun today. And uh, we're going to continue to put out fantastic content as I myself monitor and keep track of the market. And make sure you hit that like, subscribe button. And I'll see you next time. Take care and keep it real.